Good morning and welcome. Uh, today we are at the point of the close of our series, Disciple Culture. And today we're going to be talking about a discipline that I almost took out uh, when considering doing this series. But as I kept watching the progression of Mark's letter from Mark 8 to chapter 9, I just knew that I had to put this discipline back in. But I want to remind us as we close this discussion on spiritual disciplines that spiritual disciplines are not the thing. They have never been, nor will they ever be, the goal. Worshiping Jesus and becoming like Jesus is the goal. So if I were to say what portion do the spiritual disciplines play in the equation of becoming like Jesus, they would be this. Jesus said in John 15 that I'm the vine and you are the branches. And if that is true, which it is, then spiritual disciplines are the trellis by which that vine reaches us and we produce even more fruit. So I want to keep us on the proper perspective as we move from this series, starting to put these things into our lives and moving into the series that are to come. Today we're going to be looking at the transfiguration of Jesus. And that may not be a, a passage that we might naturally think of when considering the discipline of scripture meditation. But today I'm going to ask us to take a, a different look. I feel like God has given me a fresh perspective on this passage and it is precisely where we need to be today. To get into the context of where this picture leads us, we need to go back a couple weeks. So Peter pronounces Jesus as the Messiah as they're coming into Caesarea Philippi. And this is just a few days prior to what we're about to read. So Jesus is pronounced the Messiah by Peter and Jesus turns and reveals to him his identity. This was something that could only be whispered in the discipline of silence in the, the very heart and the mind of Peter's soul. God the Father by his spirit whispers this truth to him. And then Jesus turns and tells him his God-given identity. Immediately following that, there's a rebuke that we talked about as Tim led us through the sermon last week in the discipline of sacrifice. That Peter reveals he has an agenda. Just like most Jews of his day, they believed that the Messiah would come and establish an earthly kingdom. And he was ready to reign. He was ready to overthrow Roman rule. So as Jesus starts talking about his own death and the cross, he, he tells Jesus, this can't be. There's no way this is going to happen because I've been taught all my life that you're going to establish an earthly kingdom. And the Messiah will come and we his people will reign with him. Jesus' words are very specific. They're pointed. He turns to him and says, Get behind me, Satan, because you don't have the mind of God or the mind of Christ, but only a mind of earthly things, a human mind. And it's not at all the way that you've seen it. And today he offers a picture, a gift, if you will, and a transfiguration that will help these men like Peter, James, and John to see the entire a picture of what the kingdom will be and how it is to come from God's perspective. And so I, I want to kind of set the stage by saying this. This picture that we're about to witness in Scripture is kind of like an artist being asked to take a subject in and reflect on all the many details to capture their very essence in their portrayal of said subject. An artist has to watch and study and meditate on the, the object that they are to portray or emulate. So Jesus leads the inner three up this mountain that they may see the reality of who Jesus is in his eternal persona. And he desires that they take it in, that they would see him, they would reflect on him, they would recognize his love and his life for the world. And by this unforgettable image, this experience of peering into the heavenly, 
they may have hope of eternal glory and a motivation to run the race of life for the kingdom from God's perspective and run said race well. So I want to jump right in, Mark 9, verses 1 through 13. It says, And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. This is a key verse, and it sets up the entire next 12 verses. So hold that thought. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up the high mountain where they were all alone. And they, he, there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before him them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, or teacher, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, or tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, they were so frightened. Verse 7, Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them the orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it was written about him. Now, like I said, this entire exchange starts with the verse 1, which says, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, I want to take you back. What did Jesus rebuke Peter for? He said, Get behind me, Satan, because you have the mind of man, not the mind of God. Peter still has an agenda. Peter's agenda is that the earthly kingdom would come. And when he has this appearance of Elijah and Moses there with Jesus, what do you think he believes? This verse only serves to affirm his agenda, and he believes that heaven has come down now, and we're going to establish said earthly kingdom. So it's all starting right here, and this, this first verse serves to, for Peter in his mind, affirm his agenda. But it is culminated, this whole exchange culminates in a later verse. It's in the verse where God the Father interrupts Peter and his agenda in verse 7, where he says, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. You see, Peter did not recognize what uh, God's method for the kingdom was, how the kingdom would come about, that it had to come by Jesus' cross, his own sacrifice, and death and resurrection. This is how the eternal kingdom would be established. You can see that the people also didn't understand God's perspective either, because when Jesus replies with an issue of Elijah, referring to John the Baptist, saying that he has come, but the people didn't recognize him, it affirms that they had an agenda too. It says they, they did to him whatever they wished at the close of this exchange. 
He's saying, Peter, like you have an agenda, so do all people on the earth, so do those Jewish leaders. Everyone has an agenda that must be exchanged in order to see things from my perspective and from the Heavenly Father's perspective so that you can actually engage and join in kingdom work. But if you hold to your agenda, your old habits, you're going to miss me. So first point I want to make here is this, and it's going to feed the rest of our points. Scripture meditation leads to change. You see, we have to be able to see Jesus for who he truly is. And that's what the transfiguration serves as. It's a gift, but also a scripture meditation for us. Time and invitation in the scriptures gives us the ability to see Jesus for who he truly is. And when we don't take said opportunity and meditate on the image that we saw, we lose motivation for eternal glory that will take us past the suffering that was promised while we're here on earth. In John 14, it says that in this world, you'll have trouble. Jesus said, if you align yourself with me, the world will hate you. So scripture meditation leads to change. And it leads to a change in our perspective. It gives us an ability to acknowledge Jesus for who he truly is. Now, this setting for this exchange takes place on Mount Hermon. It's about 9,200 feet in elevation, and it's the highest peak in the vicinity of where they are right now in Caesarea Philippi, where Peter claims Jesus as Messiah just where we studied in the sermon two weeks ago. This is just a few days ago. He's claimed Jesus as Messiah. He's had this exchange where Jesus looks at him and tells him his, his heavenly purpose, his kingdom identity. He's rebuked because Jesus talks about his cross and sacrifice and now this exchange. So Jesus can offer him a picture of hope after that suffering. Jesus is revealed to these three, the inner three, his closest friends on the planet, the leaders to all the ambassadors, the disciples who will birth the New Testament church in his name, and quite honestly, serve as the leaders to us today. He reveals himself in his glorious form to them. He leads these leaders up the mountain to have this exchange, to offer them hope of eternal glory that will surpass the temporary suffering of his immediate cross, which is just months away from here, and the temporary suffering that we, his people, must have in a broken world. We don't fit In fact, anyone who is in Christ lives counter to culture. He's trying to offer them God's perspective rather than simply living with an earthly one. He's trying to give them the mind of Christ versus the mind of man. And while this picture is momentary, it's a picture of heaven for them to meditate on, to motivate them to press on to the end, living more for eternity than for the present. It's a gift. Much like I just mentioned that we have the gift of Scripture that we can take and we can peer into like a mirror, as James says, reflecting to us the person of Jesus and who we are not. When we look into a mirror and we see all of our flaws, we immediately desire to change them, whether that be to comb our hair or to put on makeup, to open our eyes, to brush our teeth. We can see our flaws. When we peer into the Scripture, it's intended to reveal the person of Jesus and the flesh that resides within us that needs to go away. It gives us an ability, Scripture meditation leads to change, that gives us the ability to acknowledge our own agendas. And Peter clearly has an agenda here. He doesn't recognize the gift of this moment. Peter actually interrupts Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. Now, you have to understand, too, that Peter, James, and John in this moment, probably don't recognize Elijah and Moses immediately. It would only be by Peter 
uh, by Jesus calling them by name that these men would recognize who they were. These men lived centuries before these disciples. So it's not like they would know them. So Peter hears this, has his thought of an earthly and immediate kingdom affirmed, and he just like puts his foot in his mouth. He immediately jumps up and starts to speak intuitively, relatively innocently, ignorantly, like Peter had a tendency to do without Scripture. He interrupts and offers awkwardly to these men. And the reason I say that it's relatively innocent is because Peter still wanted that earthly kingdom, and he wanted it now. He's still pushing his agenda. Have you ever interrupted God before? Like, have, has God ever said something to you in the silence of your own heart, maybe through the Scriptures, that you didn't want to hear, and so you interrupt Him? Maybe like He does here. Like, you turn to God when He says something to you that you don't like, and you go, wait, did I hear you right? And God is trying to get you to move in a, a way that is contrary to your flesh, and because you don't like it, you go, well, hold on, and we start to second guess, or was I... Was I only talking to myself there? Peter, right here, interrupts what God is doing and the method as it says, Peter, I'm sorry, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are talking with Jesus about his death and the things that must happen in order to bring the eternal kingdom. And Peter steps in and interrupts. And then he offers this awkwardly because he wants to stay in this moment. This heavenly picture, he doesn't want to leave it. It's something that's intended to be motivated motivating for, for them, for us, because it is a picture of heaven. It's where we're going, where we won't suffer any longer, this broken world. But he wants them to stay because in his mind, they've come down and now they're going to reign. And so this is the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the month of Tishri. It's about six months before Passover. And during this time, uh, of the Feast of Tabernacles, the celebration that is taking place for all Jews, he offers, do you want me to make a tabernacle for you and for Elijah and for Moses? Do you want me to go ahead and set up a dwelling place so that you can stay and that we can stay here? Because it is good for us to be here, he says. Peter and his awkwardness and his fear reveals what he desires most. Can I say that we have a tendency to miss God when we come to God with our agendas and we're not willing to let them go, we miss Him and all that He desires to say to us and what He desires to reveal to us and how we can join Him in His work for the, the kingdom only when we part ways with our own agendas. So the Father recognizing Peter's agenda and the Father recognizing Peter interrupting this holy moment that was given to Peter as a gift interrupts Peter and rebukes him. Much like, uh, he did, much like Jesus did as Peter tried to contradict Jesus' reality of, of the cross and speaking of his death. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever been interrupted by God? Ever had your plans, your agenda, your thought and, and course of life interrupted by God? If you're a follower of Jesus, I guarantee you have because this happens all the time. The reason is because Scripture meditation leads to change of our own persona. You see, we only change by acknowledging who we are in our flesh versus who he intends us to be in his image. And this, this picture, again, was a gift, this transfiguration. It was, it was intended to motivate these three men. 
It says in verse 10 that they held on to this and kept it in their hearts. This is something that they kept to themselves till after he resurrected and then shared with everyone else because it was something that they could share with everyone as hope or as encouragement that the, the story's not over. He's going to raise again and we're going, he's going to come again and come to get his church and we'll be with him in glory. And here's what that picture looks like. And he gets to share that with people. But when rebuking Peter, Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Before he can come to the place where he can offer this hope to others and have this hope himself, he has to recognize his own agenda and put it aside. Jesus says, you only have the mind of man. You've got to get away from an earthly perspective and start seeing this thing from God's eternal perspective. Take on the mind of God, the mind of Christ. The transfiguration was intended to be a hope for that, a, a motivation of that. In fact, Jesus' transfiguration, the word in the Greek is metamorpho. It's used again in, in Matthew 17. And it talks about seeing Jesus for who he truly is. But there are two other times in the New Testament where this word specifically is used, and it's in 2 Corinthians and in Romans 12. And that same word is used, but now that word is used when speaking to the transformation that we, his people, his followers, have to go through in the likeness of in becoming in the likeness of his image through both salvation and through our sanctification process. And this is where we really get into the, the gift or the, the gift of Scripture and meditating upon it that we might become like him. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul wrote it like this. He said, all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, why, why would we need teaching? Why would we need rebuking or correcting if something wasn't wrong? Why would we need training in righteousness if something wasn't wrong? See, like Peter, Jesus is trying to reveal to us that we all too have agendas that need to change. And if we're going to be thoroughly equipped for every good work in the kingdom, then we have to check our agenda at the door and embrace his. In fact, Paul wrote it, what that agenda looked like in Galatians 5. He said, you brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit contrary to the flesh. They're in constant conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But he said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires with it. Truth is, 
we can talk about the, the image that we're to change into, but we don't have to give our opinion. The scriptures make that clear. They reveal who Jesus is and who we are not. Romans 3.23 said that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Because we were broken into and born into a, a sinful world marred with a, a selfishness that desired our own agendas and our own kingdoms. All of that Jesus paid for. All of that he died for so that we would not receive punishment for that, but we might have life abundant and be free of it so that we might have his kingdom, be welcomed into his family and start to see things from his perspective. So meditation on the person of Jesus, which is revealed in meditating upon the scriptures, leads to our mimicking and eventually modeling his ways. I want to leave you at this point in conclusion that if we're going to be like him, we have to know and see him for who truly, truly is. We have to meditate on that. See, this goes beyond memorizing information. It beckons application. It's about experience. That the things we know to be true of Jesus are also expected to be manifest in us. If Jesus is and was gracious, and I think we all agree, we all experience that, then so should be his church. But are we? Are we a gracious people? Are we unconditional in our love? Are we patient? Are we kind? Are you individually faithful? Are you individually? Am I self-controlled? You see, these all come by relinquishing our old nature and our habitual responses, admitting that we cannot be these things in our own power. But this is who we were at birth. This is the flesh. Like, like we live something contrary to the, all those things that are the fruit of the Spirit. We can't become those things in our own power, but only by submitting to His Spirit, Galatians 5 says, and letting His life be shown through ours. And the way that it reveals itself most, you've probably heard it said, I know that I've said it to you, that pain's the greatest teacher. The only way that the life of Christ gets manifest through who we are is through adversity. And this only comes by meditating on what he says and letting him change us so that when adversity comes, his life, the fruit of his life, comes out of us versus the fruit of our flesh. We willingly come to the place where that happens when we're willing to trade our agenda and accept his. So this morning, I want to pray for you as we move to a time response, and I want to encourage you to respond in one of a few ways. This week, I want you to take the invitation and the gift that is Scripture meditation, and I want you to not miss it, but go into it willing to leave your agenda at the door to see things from God's perspective, to see Jesus for who He truly is, and start to allow yourself by submission to His Spirit to reflect His very image to the world around, around you that needs Him and wants hope of His love and His life rather than your and my opinion. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for loving us. We ask that today, as we take this and we meditate on it, we think about this truth and this scripture and we recognize our agendas versus your agenda for us. I pray that we would part ways with ours to embrace yours. I pray we'd be a submitted people, obedient to do whatever you desire, and God, in all things, worship. Make decisions that seek to please you and join you in the advance of your kingdom from one heart to the next. In Jesus' name, amen.
This morning, if you're here and you would like to know more about Jesus, I encourage you, contact us at prayeratthefellowship.cc. We'd love to tell you more about the person of Jesus, how much he loved you, and how you can take the steps uh, that are next for you to follow him and become like him. This morning, I want to ask you, what agendas do you have that need to be laid down? In what ways does Jesus want to change your heart to be more like his? You might have to take inventory. What kind of fruit do you bear? Is it fleshly? Or is it of his spirit? Church, the only answer to move towards bearing fruit of the life of Jesus is by moving away from the flesh in submission to his spirit. Today, by looking at the scriptures and meditating on what we see there about Jesus, we can reflect him as we submit to him. And lastly, you know you better than anyone else. I said it before, Romans 3.23, for we all fall short for all have sinned. We've all had tendency to worship ourselves instead of Jesus in our flesh. This is our old nature. It's our old sinful nature. And yet that doesn't stop him from loving and rescuing you from said nature. He gave himself up. He took the punishment that you and I deserved upon himself because he loved you. So this morning, as he pursues you right now in the sanctity of your own home, thank the Father for showing you Jesus for who he truly is and in gratitude Worship him right now and thank him for the mercy he had for you in giving himself. As our band leads us, will we worship right now, church, in response to him?